0: Who's got Jeremy Epstein? We've got Jeremy Epstein. And we're going to let you eavesdrop on our conversation with this blockchain marketing thought leader. We'll answer some questions, hit you up with the latest news, and maybe, likely, burst into song. Hey, what do you expect? We're bad. And so are you for listening to episode number 51 of the Bad Crypto Podcast.
1: Who's bad? I like how you're always smiling when you're reading the teaser.
0: I'm happy. It makes me happy. It's <laughs> so fun. This episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast brought to you by the Zilla app. Zilla is a new ICO marketplace app, kind of like a mix between Amazon and Reddit for ICOs. You can browse ICOs, upvote or downvote them, so the good ones, well, they rise to the top. If you like an ICO, you'll be able to participate using various tokens and credit cards with one click. Pre-register now for the limited Zilla beta app at zla.io forward slash (laughs) bad. Nice nice <laughs> and welcome to the bad crypto podcast the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious and all the crypto types which type are you travis
1: i'm crypto furious <laughs> that was hilarious
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i hope you guys listen to episode 50 that uh, that one this is fiat fiat <laughs> Fiat currency <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to use that one again that guy could become a meme oh on gosh. uh on bad How's crypto it's so hard oh uh, it's great well here we are now on the back side of 50 i am legitimately on the backside of 50 because i'm 53 years old and now we move and march forward towards episode 100 and glad that you guys are along for the ride i'm joel calm and alongside me is my Partner in crypto, Mr. Travis Wright.
1: Thank you, Mr. Joel Com. Yes, uh, I have, uh, you know, been in this technology space for a long time, and uh, having written a book called uh, Digital Sense, which is all about crypto, not not about crypto at all, actually. It's all about social business.
0: Wait, what did I write about? I don't. What did I write about?
1: Part. Well, it's di- it could have been called Digital Sense, C E N T S. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and talk about all There's
0: no sense. It would be digital Satoshi's.
1: Yeah. Digital Satoshis. Yeah, maybe so. But yeah, so it's a fun space to be in. And we're glad to be along for the ride. And we are glad that you guys are on board with us as we are growing and learning and teaching in this space. What a fun time.
0: The bad crypto train and uh, be a citizen of bad cryptopia the republic of bad cryptopia and you could do that by going to our facebook page facebook.com forward slash bad crypto there's also a link for the mastermind there and check in on our telegram group which is hopping badco.in forward slash telegram uh, and travis i think we plowed through so many voicemails in the last episode that we just about emptied it out, but we do have questions that are coming in via our mailbag.
1: Let's get to them.
2: Bad Crypto Inbox. You've got mail.
1: All right. Tristan writes via email, I just saw the breakdown of open ledger fees, and I think it would be wise to announce that you collect 60% of any transaction fees for those that sign up for BadCoin.
0: Yeah. Thank you, true? Tristan. Uh, it uh, So you know, we're learning all the time, we're bad. And a few months ago when we set up BadCoin on the BitShares platform, Uh, We were told that we needed to sign up for a membership in order to create an issue, an asset. And so we did that, and I think we paid some BitShares to make that happen. Well, now I went and dug a little deeper into this, and I found out that there is a fee allocation. When you guys sign up for BitShares using the link that we sent you, we actually get 80% of the transaction fees back. So when we send you bad coin, it costs us 0.21 bit shares. So if bit shares like right now, I think it's at uh, eight cents. So it costs us about a penny and a half to send you free bad coin. Well, we end up getting back 1.3 cents of the 1.6 cents that that goes out. So it is, to, which is great because it's still it's costing us to send you bad coin, but not nearly as much mm. as I thought.
1: Well, I actually send it from my own personal account, so I don't have um, the member one. So the one whenever I'm, we're sending them out, we're sending them out, but I'm able to send my transaction fee in bad coin. So technically, it costs nothing. Uh-huh.
0: So there's that. But I also think, Travis, that we get a 80% of the transaction fee for anybody that transacts anything via the BitShares platform that has gone through our link. Mm. I'm, that, I'm pretty sure. Is that happening? Are we
1: getting like kickbacks or something?
0: Yeah, so what I do is I go to vesting balances and it shows a vesting balance amount of bit shares. and it says vesting balances contain any fees earned through the referral program. They have a certain vesting period and are continually unlocked during that vesting period until all the available balances are there. And so it talks about coin days earned, coin days required, days left of a vesting period period and like if i wanted to right now i could claim 122 bit shares which comes out to about nine dollars and 76 cents oh my
1: goodness we are rich
0: yeah, we but are I, you know, what I like, you know, we're all about full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we disclose when we have sponsored episodes. We let you guys know, uh, you know, who's sponsoring the show. We let you know if we're being compensated and that we don't make any recommendations. And, and I appreciate Tristan bringing that up so we could dig in.
1: I, I actually didn't even know that. So that's that's really
0: yeah. cool. So you know what? There is so much we don't know. And uh, way more that
1: we don't know than we actually do know.
0: We're learning along the way. Here's another question. This one was submitted by Peter via the contact link on our website, which you guys can go ahead and click there. And it's a great place to ask your questions, to provide feedback. If you're working with an ICO and you would be interested in discussing how you might sponsor a segment on an ICO spotlight, or if you would like to have either Travis or myself or both of us appear at an event and either do bad crypto live from your stage, or perhaps speak about blockchain related to, Topics You can do that via the contact form, just like Peter did. And Peter said, love your show. The last couple of weeks, I've been walking back and forth to work morning and afternoon via the Sydney Harbor Bridge.
1: Oh, I love that bridge. I've walked across that several times myself. I love it.
0: Piling through all the bad crypto podcasts. I have about six to go. Well, we're going to keep pumping them out faster and you can listen, Peter. Often, I can't wipe the smile from my face with some of the show's antics. I have learned heaps basically from knowing nothing to actually having a bit of an idea of the whole blockchain space. I have a bad or impertinent question for you guys. What's in this for you? You warn of the pump and dump, dodgy ICOs, scams, and so forth, but I can't discern the actual reason you both do the podcasts. It can't be purely benevolent, can it? What's the game plan for the Bad Crypto podcast? Having asked the hard question, please keep the podcasts coming. Well, I think we kind of addressed it. I, you know, didn't realize the full question here Mm -hmm. before I I read it all. But the first reason we do this is because we're having fun, right, Travis? We are
1: laughing every time we're putting these together. Like for example, we uh, we we added thirty nine voicemails to that episode fifty. And Joel and I, when we put that together, we were just sitting there just cracking up, laughing the whole time. So you'd think it would be a challenge or like a a chore to put 39 voicemails and then answer some of them and then piece it all together. And you figure that would be kind of a monumental task. But it ended up being hilarious and, and super fun. It was actually one of the funnest times that I think that we've had putting together a show. So for one, one, we're having fun. Two, we just made $9 in BitShares.
0: I mean, (laughs) wait wait a second. (laughs) I gotta. Yeah, baby. Well, you know, we do. In order to monetize the show, we do offer sponsorships. Whether they're, you know, core sponsorships like the Zilla app is our November sponsor, or whether they are sponsored segments for the ICO Spotlight, where we're being compensated either in. Fiat, or a prime coin, or tokens from the company, or some uh, you know version of that. But that this, which is another reason that we don't want to bring crappy ICOs on the show. I mean, it's not fair to you guys. And if somebody's going to sponsor our show, we're hoping that they're going to have a successful project. It's not a bad question. I think we've been transparent with it all along. And the long term game plan is nothing less than. World domination. We, you know, we would both
1: like to have statues uh, made of ourselves. eventually <laughs> that, that will eventually be torn down because somebody <laughs> finds
0: us offensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably better ixnay on the statues, eh? And now the news.
0: This story makes me smile, Mr. Travis Right? It's on fintechnews.com, and it says that – well, uh, before I give you the headline – let me read the entry to this. This is written by the CEO of the company that this is related to. And he says, quote, here's a quiz. Where might you think a huge, like 26 million, posse of potential new Bitcoin buyers could come from? Asia? Africa? Wrong. How about Fidelity Investments? Wow, you say, and wow it is. The fifth Largest asset management firm is all in on Bitcoin and has been. As we've pointed pointed out previously, Abigail Johnson, who is Fidelity's CEO, is a staunch believer in Bitcoin and even runs a profitable Bitcoin mining operation. Bitcoins are even accepted in Fidelity's cafeteria. Fad? No way. Fidelity sees institutional money tiptoeing into the cryptocurrency sector. And, well, just take a moment to read this and learn what Abigail. Gail Johnson already knows Bitcoin is here to stay. And it says Bill Taylor, CEO. So I'm not sure Bill Taylor might be the CEO of fintechnews.com and he wrote this piece, but it's coming off like a quote. Uh, anyway, a Fidelity. Uh, could help 26 million new Bitcoin investors. I think that's pretty cool.
1: That is huge. And, you know, that's more people than there are actual Bitcoin. So not every one of those Bitcoin buyers will be able to get a full Bitcoin Right. And if they all come in and trying to buy a Bitcoin, well, then guess what happens to the price, Mr. Joel (laughs) Zoom To the moon. Yeah. Supply versus demand and the whole economic thing. Right.
0: So that's good news, you know, especially in light of the war that's going on between Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin cash, which, by the way, as of the recording today, Taking a look at the crypto market cap, we, we've gone over 210 billion in total crypto market. Wow! Uh, Bitcoin Cash has slipped back to the number two slot in terms of market cap, behind Ethereum, where it belongs. And uh, Bitcoin's about 6600, Bitcoin Cash about 1300. There are those that believe the pump uh, and dump on Bitcoin Cash has not ended yet; that it's going to pump again. Ethereum. Looking tight, Mr. Travis Right, $330 in Litecoin back over 60.
1: Yeah, it's sitting around $63. There's a whole bunch of them that are looking good. Monero um, took off here this past week. Uh, Neo has actually had a nice little bump sitting around 30 bucks. There's some other interesting ones that uh, we've, been, we've been keeping an eye on as well. Stellar Lumens is up as well today, almost at three and a half
0: cents. So that's always we, interesting. We did talk about Stellar in the IBM connection, right? We did. Yeah, so, you know, I'm keeping – I actually loaded up a little bit more on Stellar. Um, I recommend you go do your own research. Don't do it just because I'm doing it because um, I often lose money. But I love the IBM partnership for Stellar Lumens. There is – there was a really awesome Ask Me Anything
1: of Michael Dowling, who's the group CTO – of uh, IBM blockchain. I believe that's his role. He's the group CTO and chief architect for the blockchain financial services at IBM. And he recently announced a universal payment solution developed by Stellar that they're working on. I will actually uh, include a link to this in the show notes because that to me was the thing that made me go,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim, Tim, the tool man style. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how, you know, something that happened in a, a popular show becomes part of our culture and vocabulary i mean how many years has home improvement been gone and we still
1: <laughs> to me that's scooby-doo not that it that is it is a lot scooby it's actually them i think it was a home home improvement ripping off scooby-doo we're okay raggy <laughs> next up in the news we have a really interesting piece here on cryptocoinsnews.com. news.com talking about all of the blockchain projects that were developed in the last year on GitHub. And uh, that repository, GitHub, has over 26,000 projects that were created in the last year. Yet, Joel, only 8% remain active.
0: Wow, that is a small number. Now. Of course, I'm guessing that a lot of the projects were just somebody playing around with a concept. Like, I'd like to know how many of these 26,000 blockchain projects on GitHub were anything more than somebody just dabbling with an idea, you know, that actually was moving into turning it into a business of some kind. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that a lot of those You know, were never intended to be anything more than somebody just dabbling, wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, most likely. They say that a lot of the projects here have an average lifespan of one point two two years, and ninety percent of them are becoming idle within the first six months. However, you know, think about it like this. There's 26,000 blockchain-related uh, you know, projects on GitHub, and now we have over 1,000 cryptocurrencies. So, I mean, there are some that are getting to that finish line, one out of 26. Yes. I mean, one, you know. Uh, um, I
0: would imagine, though, more often than not, it played out like this. Honey, it's time for dinner. Come up from the basement. Mom, I'm on GitHub. What are you doing down there? I'm <sighs> building a blockchain project. Come on. It's going to be the new
1: Bitcoin, Mom. Get up here, we got our pork chops and green beans
0: and <laughs> <laughs> other news, the uh, Mount Gox bankruptcy still is in the news and and i I don't know how many times we've said Mount Gox on the show, and we I always say one day we're going to tell the story. We're going to gather around the campfire and roast marshmallows and talk about mm-hmm. Mount Gox, but it was one of the the low points of uh, Bitcoin, and this story is that Mark Capellas is going to end up with $859 million from the Mt. Gox bankruptcy. Uh, who He was the CEO, right? He was the guy that bought Mt.
1: Gox from Jed. Jed? Jeb? Who's the dude? Who's Jeb. The, Jeb. Jeb. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Jeb. We'll just say Jeb.
1: Jebd. And uh, who is the uh, CEO of Stellar, was also one of the founders of Ripple, right? And so he sold Mt. Gox. To mark, and then what happened was it got it got seized or it got hacked. There was some bankruptcy thing going on, and there was about two hundred thousand uh, bitcoins that were recovered after the. Actually, there was a there was a loss of a million bitcoins. Four hundred million during that point were, uh, you know, Mount Gox filed bankruptcy, and so what they're saying is, is anybody who has a claim to those bitcoins, they're going to get the value that their bitcoins were worth in two thousand fourteen, and anything above that value comes to Mark Capellas, the uh, the CEO of Mount Gox. So he's going to end up getting almost a billion dollars worth of value off of all these folks.
0: Wow. Uh, that uh, that's a lot of uh value right there it's it is jed by the way apologies to uh jed McCaleb for butchering your name but but that's kind of what we do and uh tim duper uh, oh wait draper <laughs> as long as we're butchering. Tom Jim, Tom Drooper Don Draper um, (laughs) uh, 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 says this about Bitcoin. In five years, if you use fiat currency, they will laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. This is fiat currency. I'm a little crypto furious. (laughs) Oh, fiat. Tim. Tim says that you are laughable, um, my friend. And so Tim bought, check this, he bought 30,000 Bitcoin in 2014 for under 20 million. Today, it's worth about 215 million. Nice buy, Tim. Well,
1: it's not only that. He had another scenario before where he had X amount of, of Bitcoin, and I think it got Mount Gox or something. And then he ended up coming back and saying, okay, well, screw you guys. I'm going to get some more. And then he bought 30000 more. So pretty interesting. He actually uh, bought them in a government auction from those assets seized from Silk Road. So worth under $20 million at the time. Now it's worth over $200, and four, 200 million. Who knows exactly what they're worth today because at the time of this article was created about a week ago, Bitcoin was worth a little bit more. It's gone down a little bit. So
0: around $200 million, not too shabby. And by the time you listen to this, it might be back up again or it might be down. It might go to zero and it might go to $10 billion. Well, no, that's not going to happen. But we're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Anyway, hey, that's the news. We've got a great segment coming up for you next. Our interview with Jeremy epstein so stick around because here it comes all right ladies
1: and gentlemen of bad cryptopia we have a great guest with us today and uh, i have seen uh, this guy speak a few times now on blockchain and blockchain marketing and you are in for a treat today we are with Jeremy Epstein. He is the CEO of Never Stop Marketing as well. He was the VP of Marketing over at Sprinkler, which is a a top social media platform as well. And he wrote a book called The CMO's Primer to the Blockchain. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big warm welcome to Jeremy.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor.
1: Great stuff. Thank you so much for uh, for for jumping on with us. Really appreciate that.
0: Let's start at the beginning because this journey for Travis and myself is relatively new. I mean, this show started in July, and our conversations really began in in spring of uh, two thousand and seventeen. And you know since going down the crypto rabbit hole, uh, we find that it's really deep and expansive, and there's no bottom in sight. So, why don't you share with our listeners your story of how you got sucked into this never-ending chasm of crypto deliciousness?
2: Yeah, you know, it's so funny that you're you use that kind of visual because I think your experience is similar with every single person in this industry. We all sort of start dabbling, and then at some point, you kind of fall in, you take the red pill. And once you go crypto, you never go back. And there you go. Yeah. So I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin uh, based on the recommendation from Fred Wilson's blog in like 2012. And like everyone who bought Bitcoin in 2012, I didn't buy enough of it. But oh, well, Um, I I distinctly remember the feeling that I'm never going to see this money again, and my wife is going to kill me. So, fortunately, neither of those happened. But I was involved at Sprinkler for a long time, uh, from the time we were about 20 people, sorry, 30 people and about 20 million valuation until about 1,400 people and a 1.8 billion valuation. And it was an amazing ride, and Sprinkler is a phenomenal company. My preference, th- though, is I like the uh, the early part, the landing on the beaches part, as opposed to the going across France into Germany part, if you will. I was a history major. Mm. Um, so as I was sort of looking for that next sort of thing, my passions has always been, how do you take powerful, transformative, uh, for the better, technologies from sort of the edge cases to the mainstream? And as a marketer, that's kind of what I've been trying to spend most of my uh, my craft developing over the last 20-some years And so I was looking around and I was like, okay, I have this Bitcoin stuff. What the hell is this thing? Mm -hmm. Right. So I just started like reading and reading and reading. And just like what happened to you, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, like this thing is like a tsunami Mm -hmm. miles off the coast and nobody knows it's coming. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, wow. And then once you start to kind of get your head around it, which lasts for like a minute and then you realize, you know, nothing. You started like getting super excited. And then I started to look around and I said, wow, the the engineering talent in this space is mind blowing. These guys are so good. It's unbelievable. And I looked around further and I was like, well, wait a second. Like, you know, even if I'm like a below average marketer on my worst day, I think I can help these guys Mm -hmm. because like they're engineers. And so, you know, I talked to a few people and I, I, I have the privilege maybe once every two to three years of having coffee with Fred Wilson. And I was like, Fred, you know, I'm thinking about maybe helping out some of these blockchain startups as kind of a virtual CMO or a marketing advisor. And he looks at me goes, Jeremy, every single one of these companies needs your help. And I was like, that's all the market validation I need. So mm-hmm. there you go. So I sort of uh basically hung out the shingle. I've been very fortunate to uh to work with some really top tier uh, projects like Open Bazaar, like Zcash, like Storage, D Corp, and a whole bunch of others. And just really awesome to be right there in the, the epicenter, if you will, of decentralization, ironically, with some of these startups and just trying to help them because it's such an amazing paradigm. And I think for me, it's mostly about my mission is to bring that decentralized future, that I think everybody who goes down this, this whole kind of sees as a, ultimately a good uh, possibility and a good outcome, bring it to the present as quickly as possible, because you guys and I, we're all big fans of technology, but I think we also deeply understand the challenges and the dangers of having too much centralization. And that's a concern for me, and I want my kids to live in a world where there's decentralization, and so I'm just trying to help do what I can to, to push that objective. Uh, forward, so that's kind of the the story. So that's basically where I work. Spend about eighty percent of my time working with the startups in the space, and then about twenty percent of my time going, um, you know, speaking to some of the enterprises and some of the aud- other audiences, just saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I've been hanging out with the barbarians on the periphery of the empire. Let me tell you what their game plan is." Like, I speak enough Klingon that I can mm. explain to you in English. So that's kind of where I fit in.
1: Very nice. I want to. I I, so I've said as I said. I've seen you speak a couple times. I saw you speak at uh, Martech in uh, in San Francisco back in May, and then also here in Boston. uh, And then and then I did the opening keynote on day two at the Martech conference, and I asked the audience how many of them had some cryptocurrency. The whole group there's like fifteen hundred people there, twelve hundred people, whatever. And about ten, maybe twelve people raised their hands, right, in wow. a room full of marketing technologists, right? right. And then I say, so how many of them have any, you know, Litecoin or Ethereum? And then like maybe eight. I'm like how many, how many here have coins aside from those? And then like two, right? right, which blew me away. I'm like, I'm like, wow. I'm in a room full of marketing technologists, and only two people have anything other than Litecoin, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. Wow. I want to touch real, real quick on the metaphor that you use at the beginning of your presentation because most of our audience here listens. They're they're mostly noobs as well. And we're trying to help these masses get to that next level so they can adopt and, and start using crypto. And we've helped a ton of people get in the space. So right. what that 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 metaphor of the signet ring, right? And how that was used back in the day to, to for trust and for third party verification. And if you could maybe share that with our audience because I, I think that's it's a pretty valuable. Uh, metaphor
0: yeah
2: thank you thank you yeah so basically once upon a time going all the way back to ancient Egypt the way that people authorized transaction was with the signet ring and I'm sure people have seen them in TV or movies where these these custom engraved rings that you would imprint the seal in wax or whatever and that would indicate to whoever was party to the transaction that you, the individual owner of that signet ring, had kind of verified that transaction. And, you know, obviously losing that ring was a problem because people could forge signature, but that was basically the idea. The challenge, of course, and it was used for a long time, well into the Middle Ages, because a lot of people couldn't write and and read or what have you. Um, But the challenge, as we would say, is, you know, signet rings don't really scale very well because you can't remember everybody's signet ring up to 10,000 or a million people. So that's why we had to, not that's why, but one of the things that sort of uh, allowed us to scale our economies was the creation of these centralized institutions that basically serve as trust brokers between parties who wouldn't normally uh, trust or engage with each other. But what's so powerful about crypto is it basically brings that concept of the signet ring back, where each of us have our own private key that we own, that can't be duplicated, that uh, you know we control. And it indicates to everybody that the owner of that private key, the owner of that digital signet ring, if you will, is the one who authorized that transaction. So it allows you for that same sense of individual confirmation of a transaction, but to do it at a global scale without having to remember, you know, what does everybody ring, you know, look like? Because of course yours would be like some sort of Kansas City chief royal motif kind of deal Might my room re- re- like like re- look
1: just like this yeah
2: yours would look just like that exactly and that i don't know what blue mine blue. look like but i work <laughs> so yeah so that's basically the idea is now we can kind of devolve that trust decentralize that truck trust mechanism back to the individual because now we're in control of our own kind of signing authority whereas if we give that to the bank for example i tell people you don't actually own the money in your bank account, the bank owns the money because they could sh- shut you down. They can turn off your ATM access. They can shut down your access, your your login from the website, and you can't access your money. So you don't actually control it in Bitcoin or any of the other cryptos. You know, assuming you're not using a centralized hosting sort of scenario you control it all the time. And, you know, I remember one guy last, a couple weeks ago when the whole Equifax thing went down and he's like, I'm worried about my social security number. I'm worried about my driver's license. I'm worried about my credit card, but I'm not worried about my Bitcoin. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So, yeah, yeah, actually somebody had used something from Equifax, my social security number, that whole leak, and then contacted T-Mobile and uh, got them to switch my SIM card over to their device and then was resetting other passwords, trying to get into my Coinbase account to, wow. uh, to hack my, my crypto, but I have all that locked down, did not have T-Mobile locked down well enough, I guess.
2: Wow, that's that's scary, man. Wow, goodness. Yeah. yeah,
0: we actually, we covered it. Uh, there's uh, two episodes kind of back to back where we talk about what happened and then uh, the resolution, and of course, Travis wins because- Travis always wins because he is King Daddy Crypto. <laughs> so, <laughs> Blockchain makes all kinds of promises. For oh. We're seeing, you know, there's over 1,200 currencies now in coin market cap. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands more that aren't listed there that have different solutions that they, they tend to create tokens that are going to solve a problem for their customer, whatever space it is. So, you know, when you look at blockchain and, and you understand that no matter what we come up with as solutions, if customers don't actually use it, it doesn't matter. Where do you see blockchain making the biggest impact for customer experience and, and beyond that to marketing in general?
2: Phenomenal questions. I mean, I think we have to think about the multiple phases. But, you know, the first thing is, we have to keep in mind, despite, I told someone today that I think, like, what's so interesting about crypto right now is it's the sort of the early days of web 1993-1994, combined with the craziness of 1999 IPO kind of era, all wrapped up into one. So, you know, the commercial internet took 20 years. And the first couple of years, people are like, what is this thing? How are we going to use it? And I think we're sort of in that place right now. For me, I think that the key message for for most people to understand is, it's not so much how blockchain works. That's really cool. And it's not so much what are the steps that are going to happen in order for it to be mainstream adoption. To me, this thing looks inevitable. And I think the thing you have to kind of understand is, okay, what if this is really a wave, what does it crash into? Well, if you're a third party intermediary that's serving as a trust broker between other people, that's where you need to be concerned. So I think that's the first thing you have to kind of take away from what's blockchain. Now, to your point of like, okay, how does this thing kind of roll out? That's where we sort of say, all right, what are the steps? Well, the first step is we're laying down the infrastructure. And that's really with you know, what Ethereum's all about, what a lot of these other practices are about. Some people would argue that Bitcoin as the trust layer of the internet uh, is about that. So these are all sort of the infrastructure. Then you're sort of going to that next layer of things of like blockchain interoperability, because we're sort of past that point where there's one blockchain to them all. So that's where like Polkadot and Cosmos and Icon and all these guys were are trying to allow for these sort of atomic swaps of value between various blockchains occurring. So this is very low level in the grand scheme of things, stuff of the sort of crypto stack, if you will. But ultimately, I think where you're gonna start seeing it is is things like people aren't even gonna be aren't just like today, like you don't even think about the fact that you're actually using the internet when you're engaging with Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. That's what's going to happen with blockchain technology. So, you know, Kik's already doing this with their Kin token. You now is doing this with their Props tokens. So you're going to start seeing, I call them reverse ICOs, you're going to start seeing existing platform, centralized platform companies basically flip invert their model to become decentralized token based and sort of take the, the value that they're normally sort of aggregating in the middle and basically redistributing it back out to the people who are creating the value. For the content, so I think that's the earliest kind of uh, one of the earliest uh, use cases where the the people where so you'll see in industries I think sharing economy industries of companies that are sort of in like call it spots three through seven. I don't know anyone at Kick who said this whenever, although I heard someone say that it was kind of verified. Basically, they kind of came to the realization we're not going to beat Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp playing the same game as they are. So we have to beat them another way. And the way we're going to do that is we're basically going to create a crypto token called a KIN. And if you create value on our network, you're going to get a KIN, which then can be exchanged for Bitcoin or Ether or dollars or whatever you want. And that's how we're going to compete, given the fact that we have all these people who are already registered. So I think you'll start seeing that. The financial services is an obvious one. I think supply chain is really kind of sitting there. And then within the the place that i look you know i call you you guys may have seen the blockchain marketing technology landscape that i put out like i think the advertising ecosystem is really interesting because that thing is just chock full of intermediaries and it's just like begging for sort of uh, a distributed ledger technology kind of disruption it might take a while but i think you're going to start seeing enterprising like ssps dmp's and all those guys start to say "Hmm, okay how do we kind of get a leg up on everybody else and maybe do what Kick and you now and these guys are doing over here within our space? So I think you'll start seeing that. But for the end user, for the most part, aside from sort of having this points that once upon a time were not really valuable to now coming into some sort of tokens, which actually do have value, like real value outside of the platform that they're in, I think most people shouldn't even know that they're using this stuff. It doesn't matter. But I think they're actually going to have a better user experience, and I know you guys are big on customer experience, as you should be, they're gonna have a better experience, because they're actually going to recognize the value that they're creating, and get compensated for that, which actually just feels more fair for everybody. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But that's kind of how I'm thinking.
1: about yeah, it. Yeah, that's one of those things where, you know, Facebook and Google and all these companies, they've gotten very wealthy off of the user data. And you know, that money did not trickle down to any of the users. And now we're seeing that the users are being compensated. I mean, imagine every time you bought an Apple computer or an iPhone or something, you were able to get some Apple token that over time it increased. And you, you know, for being a, a, you know, a valuable customer of them, you were rewarded in some way. But instead, that doesn't necessarily happen unless you unless you are a stockholder. And that is one of the questions that we had because you, you know, there's, uh, you know, around the marketing technology, uh, blockchain landscape that you had put together you know, it seems like there's a whole bunch of those advertising platforms that are surfacing around blockchain. And I wanted to ask you, maybe, how are you navigating that? How can you tell which one of those are surfacing as some of the better solutions that, that we might want to keep an eye on?
2: Yeah, I mean, that that's the, but, I wouldn't even say it's a billion dollar question. It might be a multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. question. I I wish I anyone who tells you they've totally figured this industry out, in my opinion, doesn't know what they're talking
1: about. Right?
2: I definitely have not. I saw a really cool graphic the other day that was like a bell curve. And it was like, I don't know anything about blockchain. I don't know anything about blockchain. At the top, you're like, oh, I figured it out. They're like, I don't know anything about blockchain. (laughs) I was like, yep. It's like every time I think, I'm like, nope, I don't understand. I'm just confused. And I do this all day, every day for like a year and a half. So, you know, I, I, I look at... There, there's a framework that I use right now. It's very immature and we're, we're sort of, I'm building, I'm working with some folks to kind of build out the model to look at sort of what the data, but like using anything from sort of a centralized to sort of superimpose on a decentralized to me feels like maybe, but it's like you want to start from what are the the things that a decentralized sort of a uh, uh, project's going to need. So I call it the three T C model, right? So, Team number one is team, right? That's eternal. When you look at a startup, you want to know who is the team at the at the core of the thing that's gonna drive it. Are these serious people? Do they have a track record? Do they know what the hell they're talking about? That kind of thing. Number one. Number two is the technology. There's a lot of really cool stuff that blockchain can do. It can't make coffee just yet. You can track the supply chain of coffee, but can't actually make coffee. So you want to make sure that the technology is actually like, yeah, that could actually work. Like there's a lot of stuff that's far-fetched, but you're like, could this work, or is this like no? This is just like a, this is not a blockchain or a distributed. I'm all, I'm moving toward distributed ledger technology to kind of answer uh, to start thinking about that. So, you know, does the technology actually do, or can it do what it's supposed to do? Number two, number three, the token. Now, the t- the study of token economics is is going to be a field. You're going to have like crypto economics classes in college and an MBA school and business whatever all that because. Understanding like the money supply, the fiscal policy, the incentives, all of these things that have to be baked in to the token, basically at the Genesis block, um, have to be considered. So you need to know, like we had a conversation before about a few different cryptocurrencies and like, what's their supply? What's their price? Like these are all things you actually know at the outset, and that will inform whether you want to invest, whether you want to build on it, what have you. And then number four is the C, which is community right? And I think what's super critical in this era, especially early, is how much developer attention are each of these projects getting? Because they almost all of them require some sort of like, in order to drive the user adoption that you were asking about before, you're going to need developers to build applications on top of it to go out and evangelize it and do increasingly niche kind of services. But if people aren't actually building on top of it, then you're probably going to start running into like a friction uh, or a slow adoption issue. I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago and he was, he was comparing sort of two of the projects in the, in the um, decentralized storage space. I won't name them, but on project A, he's like, I know a bunch of people building apps on this. I don't know anyone building apps on that. Now, granted, that's one person's perspective, but that's a good indication of like, hmm, these guys might have something going. You look at their Slack channel, although now more and more people using Telegram, those kind of things to kind of see where is their excitement and why is the excitement there? So that's kind of how I look at it and sort of take it from there.
0: Well, Jeremy, we uh, we appreciate your time. I got one uh, last question that goes along the lines of marketing in particular. All these ICOs are popping up. Basically, they're trying to use blockchain to find a way to uh, raise funds through the token for their business. And some of them succeed wildly. Some of them crash and burn. In fact, I was just looking at one that, you know, they're trying, they need a soft cap of a million and they're more than halfway through and they've raised about a quarter of a million. And it tells me probably not going to happen. So uh, this is actually, uh, should be instructive to those that are involved in ICOs. What are some of the marketing strategies that you're seeing that are effective in launching these ICOs? Yeah, no,
2: that's a good question. I mean, uh, I think, one, it comes back to the 3TC thing. Like, you need to demonstrate in your on your website, in your white paper, that you really have addressed these things, number one. Number two, uh, you know, people are still people, and they follow social cues and social proof from others. Like, who are your advisors? You know, who who's investing in you? And honestly, these days, a lot of it just comes down to the presale. Like, can you get that sort of significant ball rolling and in investor excitement? Sure. There's a lot of marketing fluff, like, and it's the stuff that I don't like, because it's just a lot of BS out there. There's a ton of noise and there's some scammers out there. I've been scammed. So like, I personally understand it. Like, you know, I think that I look, I think you. it's healthy to kind of set very big goals for yourself, but you also need to have in your mind like, okay, what do we realistically need to play the long game? Because the ICO is not the end, it's basically a promise to the community that you're going to deliver something of significant value down the road. And so you want to say to yourself, okay, what do I need to get to that next milestone so that I can then demonstrate to the community or to the world, essentially, or people who care, uh, we actually deliver? So this project that is going to maybe run, you know, only raise a quarter million dollars That's a seed round. That's an angel investment, right? So, okay. If you can go for six months and crank out something awesome and you demonstrate that, okay, you're probably going to get additional life. So it's not a defeat. You may not have like a touchdown on the opening drive, but, or the kickoff, if you will, but you know, at least you get some momentum and then you get a chance to prove yourself because the key thing, like right now it's crazy. Although I feel like we're most people, I think feel like we're sort of in this ICO winter right now, but I think you have to think like, okay, in three, six, 12 months, a lot of these tokens are going to be gone. And for those who just deliver, you're going to get second and third and fourth chances to really pick up uh, momentum and see the value value of your tokens increase. If you believe in what you're doing, hang in there and you just need enough money to kind of keep on going for the, until you hit that milestone. That would be my advice. Go hard, never stop marketing, but also be realistic that you're not just playing a one inning baseball game. uh, You're playing a long one, a nine inning, maybe extra.
1: Maybe extra innings. Yeah, you never know. So what are, what are some of, we'll wrap this up here with a final question here. So what are some of your favorite resources on blockchain or some of the places that you go to gain gain wisdom and knowledge? What are your go-tos?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll send you a link. I put together like your a blockchain 101 link with all the books, podcasts, and what have you that I go to. You know, uh, I think Phil Gomes's, uh piece on ICOs and token design was probably one of the best I've ever read. Uh let's see. I love reading Daniel Jeffrey's stuff. He's a really big thinker on on decentralization. You know, I think uh William Mugayar has always got good stuff. Mm-hmm. Fred Wilson obviously has always got good stuff. The Bad Crypto podcast, everyone should definitely listen to that multiple
0: times. That was the correct uh, answer.
2: That was the correct you answer. Win. Well, you <laughs> win. You just and won. you know, I'd say you yeah. know uh, Nick Tamino is really good. Um, Chris Berniski. No one thinks about crypto asset valuation better than he does, in my opinion. And you know, there's there's a bunch of others, but I'll send you the link if you guys want to put in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll go in the show notes for sure. Um, but those are those are the couple that off top my head. But the reason I put on my blog is because I'm getting old. And I don't remember stuff as much anymore.
1: That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for jumping on the Bad Crypto podcast with us. We really appreciate uh, you doing that. And where are some places where people can connect with you online?
2: Yeah, so best is neverstopmarketing.com, all one word. And there's a blog about crypto marketing pretty much every, well, five days a week. And that's probably the best place. I'm also on Twitter, JER979. Uh, but I'd say start at the website subscribe to the blog and uh, hopefully it's a good value added resource for you. And then we can take it from there.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Jeremy. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me guys.
0: Mr. Travis Wright. That was good interview right there with Jeremy Epstein.
1: Very nice, very nice. Really smart dude, really like Jeremy. He's a a sharp cat. He's out there doing some really cool stuff with some really cool companies. And uh, you know, he's got his marketing chops down and uh, we're glad to
0: have him on the show. And we're still reaching out to some of the other big names in crypto to hope to have them on the show in the future. Laura Shin, we know you're out there. We know that you know that we know that you know. Please come to the show. And we've reached out to uh, Vitalik Buterin or Buterin or whatever his name is. And he laughed
1: at us (laughs) and said, like, whatever. Sure, you guys.
0: (laughs) Uh, Charlie Lee has said yes, but we have not been able to connect to schedule yet. So, Charlie, um, you know, love to have you on the show soon. Lots of great content coming your way. We promise to continue to deliver, over-deliver and then deliver some more. Because
1: Overpromise promise and under-deliver every episode, <laughs> you guys.
0: Because we're bad. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast. And please share the show. You know, if you're having a good time, this is all word-of-mouth stuff. We have so many people that are telling us they're telling their friends, they're getting their family involved, they're getting their kids to listen. You know, feel free on various message boards and in telegrams to, uh, you know, don't spam them. But if it's contextually relevant to the conversation, that's taking place. Hey, I heard these guys on the Bad Crypto Podcast. You guys should go check it out. And of course, review us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're up to 241 reviews. It's a five-star rating um, on uh, iTunes and we've got a great rating on Facebook and uh, all the places. Please uh, rate us, take a screenshot of your review and email it to us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com along with your BitShares ID and what kind of magic will happen in their lives, Travis.
1: They will get magical bad coin sent to them in loving ways. (laughs)
0: Are you going to deliver it to their doorstep with a singing telegram?
1: No, I'm just going to put it into a heart bubble. And send it to Aww, them. Aww. That's so cute. And I do want to. I do want to mention this though. If you guys do refer your friend to the show, or five friends, or ten friends, or you know your a whole uh, army battalion of your friends, you would want them to start at badco.in forward slash zero zero one because our first, you know, 10, 15 episodes, Joel, they're very serial in nature, not serious. But Serial, because we're, we're kind of laying the foundations of what is blockchain, what is Bitcoin, how does it work, how does this fintech space all fit together, what does it mean, and what does it mean for the folks who are looking to invest in cryptocurrency. So we kind of lay the, lay the foundations down those first 10 to 15 episodes or so. But basically, if you listen to the first one, maybe the first two episodes, that'll give them a good idea of what's going down with this uh, crypto show and uh, kind of give them a general idea of what to expect.
0: It's a plan. So, you have your marching orders. Ladies and gentlemen of Bad Cryptopia, stay bad. Who's bad?